Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome back to the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. Our conversation today will focus within the real estate sector as we will dive into the challenges facing office properties as well as where opportunities can be located within the broader real estate sector and what the second half might have in store for the group. Uh, Joining us for today's conversation from the UBS Chief Investment Office, glad to welcome back John Wallachin real estate and lodging analyst for the Americas. We're glad to be joined as well by Todd Henderson of DWS, the firm's head of real estate for the Americas. So with that, John, Todd, thank you both for spending some time with our listeners here on UBS Market Moves. A lot we want to get through today with our listeners and their clients listening in. So first off, I just want to thank you both for your time and for joining us. Welcome. Thanks, Dan. Thanks for having me. Likewise, Dan. So with that, let's dive right in. And Todd, as a starting point, it may be helpful as a point of clarification. There might exist out there some misperception amongst investors as to the makeup of the commercial real estate sector and the areas within that are facing financial challenges, as we've been seeing in the headlines as of late. So, Todd, can you speak a bit to what the scope of commercial real estate consists of and which areas in particular have been under pressure lately? I think that there has been a bit of a doom loop um, as of late, and I think that's primarily due to the fact that commercial real estate as a whole has been painted with a really broad brush, and that's the office building brush. Commercial real estate does not equal just office. Commercial real estate is office. It's industrial buildings. It's retail buildings. And as a whole, um, Office represents about 20% of the, you know, call it the S&P index um, for private real estate, and um, upwards of maybe, you know, uh, 20 or so percent of the overall lending uh, in real estate. So uh, office has been the sector that has been reported as having the most challenges, but it does not make up a significant portion of the overall commercial real estate space. And I think it's important to distinguish it because office clearly has its challenges, but the other sectors are experiencing the best fundamentals that they've experienced um, probably on record. And so it's important to distinguish between the different sectors of real estate today uh, because of the divergence in the underlying fundamentals and the performance, both uh, recent performance and expected performance going forward. Running with that, John, to get your thoughts, I'm curious in your conversations, have you been coming across similar misperception and how have you been making those definitions or distinguishing office reads from the broader commercial real estate group? I think Todd said it very well that I have found particularly in the last six months in in the conversations that I have with, you know, know, clients or non-real estate professionals, uh, they are drawing that direct line. Commercial real estate equals office. Uh, So the way we look at it, we actually take a slightly more expansive view of what constitutes commercial real estate, you know, largely because if we uh, look at the composition of the REIT index, it it has changed significantly over the years to include such non-traditional sectors as data centers and wireless towers. There's a triple net lease space, which has always been there. Uh, And so by our numbers, you know, 
maybe office is a slightly smaller percentage, but you know whether it's 15 or 20 percent, it is certainly a smaller percent. But even within office, we think that you know there's a there's a lot of sub stories, if you will. And when, you know, I'm not trying to sugarcoat this. There are certainly going to be challenges in office. We have some, and we're going to see more. But there is uh, a segmentation. Whether and yeah, there are some companies call them premier workspaces. Some companies, some companies call them you know trophy assets or you know, Uber Class A. Those are doing very well, even in San Francisco, which by our numbers is probably the most challenged major market in the country. If you go to these you know premier workspace buildings, particularly higher floors, those are doing very, very well. So again, I, I don't want to sugarcoat what is a challenging situation in office, but even within office, there are there are sub stories. And then we start to look across the transom, and it's easy to get caught up in in, in the headlines of the day. Of there's no capital available, which we completely disagree with, but capital is certainly more expensive, uh, or there's too much new capacity coming in sectors. But you know that is more of in our view, and I hesitate to use this word because of the Fed transitory. But, you know, we look, we're looking at a long duration asset class here. And we think that over that longer duration, there are some asset classes within real estate that have very, very attractive demand fundamentals. At this point, sitting here in late June, we're at the midpoint of 2023, and we alluded to some potential challenges with respect to office properties, landlords facing potential defaults, capital access constraints. How do you see, Todd, that story progressing over the next six months? And if you want to break out your outlook a bit further with respect to broader commercial real estate, what's your outlook for the group through year end? Maybe as part of answering that, uh, I'll draw out a comparison again to this story that you know, office buildings or commercial real estate, as it's been defined very narrowly, is going to be the cause of the next banking crisis. I think that has probably um, that story has probably uh, been watered down a little bit. But um, more recently, you know, Jerome Powell um, in his comments. I think came out and said commercial real estate uh, is well distributed across the banks and that it's not a systemic risk, but there will be some losses. And I do agree with that, but I do think the losses are going to be concentrated more in the office portfolio than any other component of the portfolio, whether it be industrial, whether it be residential, uh, whether it be retail. And a couple of things I want to point out between both the larger banks and the regional and smaller banks. The regional and smaller banks represent about 70% of overall bank lending, with the large banks representing 30% of bank lending. Whether you're a large bank or you're a smaller regional bank, across the board, the concentration of their books to office real estate is very small. In terms of the larger banks, it's 1% to 2% of their overall loan books. That's office is equal 1% to 2%. In the regional and smaller banks, it's 2 to 4% of their overall books. Then when you look at where these banks are today in terms of their Tier 1 capital ratios, which is about 13 or 14, it's 30 to 40% higher than it was during the global financial crisis. So we have low concentration levels to the worst performing asset class. We have significantly better capitalized banks. And as a result, I agree wholeheartedly with Powell that this is not a systemic risk issue 
we will we will see losses. But I think in general across the sector, the banks are very well positioned to be able to handle the losses that we may see. And again, those losses I believe will be concentrated in the office sector, uh, despite there being some areas of the office sector, as John mentioned, um, as performing reasonably well, areas that have seen, uh, in our view, uh, more population growth, more job growth, uh, more business-friendly environments, uh, where you're seeing population growth, you're seeing the job growth, uh, and you're seeing reasonable office leasing. Um, where you're not seeing it is in the Class B and Class C, the non-prime, as John mentioned, uh, and, and that, those are the real challenges, and that's where the lack of liquidity is, and that's where I think we'll see the defaults and we'll see the losses. I'll come back. I'll stop there and come back maybe uh, shortly to the positive sectors and, and what we think the tailwinds are to those sectors. John, I know you've written recently about this and what ways today's challenges might be different from those experienced during the great financial crisis back in 2008, 2009. Anything there you would like to expand on? I just want to expand on, on one number that Todd had, because you know, first of all, we absolutely agree with that number of within banks, 70% you know, of lending is roughly smaller and mid-sized banks. But, you know, and this is one stat that has been out there uh, in the press, and it's flat out wrong, which is small to medium banks are 70 to 80% of total commercial real estate loans. That is factually incorrect. So Todd's number, we agree with 70% of bank lending. We estimate that banks are about 50%, five zero of total commercial real estate lending. That includes multifamily. So when you really net it out, small and medium banks are about 35%. And then as, as Todd very, very correctly pointed out, when you get to office, it's very small. So I want to dispel that. But as we look at it relative to the GFC, I think there are a couple of differences. Uh, number one, the capital markets were completely shut during the global financial crisis, which meant even investment grade REITs and your biggest private equity firms had extremely challenging uh, access to capital to the point where they couldn't. Whereas if we fast forward to today, I mean, I think you have uh, the investment grade REITs have accessed uh, the, the unsecured debt markets to the tune of 20 to $25 billion. You've even seen a couple of public REITs uh, uh, go to the mortgage market on individual properties. Now, again, uh, there are going to be challenges out there, but none of the capital markets are open. Uh, uh, the, uh, the equity markets are open for higher quality REITs. Now the cost of capital is up. That's not shocking. I think the other thing is the, the, the quality of REIT balance sheets is worlds better today than it was uh, leading into the global financial crisis. And the last thing I would say is that if you look at the amount, and, and most real estate is still owned in private hands, but if you look at the ownership of private real estate within the private equity world, you have more assets uh, concentrated in a smaller number of larger hands. Now, that doesn't mean there won't be challenges there. We've certainly seen household names, whether it's Brookfield or Blackstone, have handed the keys back on certain assets. But you're talking about companies that have tremendous access to resources. So, yes, you know, I'm in full agreement with Todd that there are going to be challenges. Uh, but to say that this is in a systemic crisis, we would absolutely disagree with that. I think one of the biggest differences um, in addition to what John just said about the GFC and the current environment, uh, our current environment 
has been what I would call a capital markets recession in terms of real estate and not a profits recession, meaning that the fundamentals outside of the office space have never been better. And that is something I think that's been lost in this story. Started heading into this repricing of real estate, which, by the way, real estate's not unique in terms of its repricing. We saw the equity markets in the and the fixed income markets last year completely repriced as a result of the changes in cost of capital. I think for the first time, both of them were down in the same year. Um, so it shouldn't be surprising that we've seen a <clears throat> capital markets recession in real estate, which we saw in the GFC. But what we had in the GFC as well was we had consumers that were, were not in good shape. We had bank balance sheets that were not in good shape. We had real estate balance sheets that were not in good shape. We entered into the challenges of the global financial crisis with vacancies very high. The industrial market, for example, one of the bright spots today, sitting here today with leasing levels having come back to more normalized levels than we've experienced over the last couple of years, but still decidedly positive in terms of net absorption, we started this with vacancy levels being half, half of the historical mean. We started in the residential space with vacancy levels being below the historical mean on top of a couple million units short in terms of the stabilized level of housing that's needed. So those two areas, those two sectors, we're really uh, constructive on going forward because we continue to see increased demand um, coming from the conversion of, uh, or, or from e-commerce, not necessarily the conversion from e-commerce, but the build-out of companies' omni-channel networks. Uh, and we believe that today we're sitting at plus or minus 14% of overall retail sales being e-commerce with a stabilized level in the 28 to 30% of overall retail sales as e-commerce by the end of the decade. That will continue to generate a tremendous amount of, of activity, um, leasing activity, and with the economy, we think um, going through what will probably be a uh, what we believe a shallow and relatively short recession, uh, once the economy uh, turns back around, we'll see the traditional sources of demand um, in in the industrial sector on top of the onshoring, um, the supply chain securitization, and this movement um, of goods closer to the end user. Um, as a result of e-commerce and short delivery timeframes. So uh, we really do think that it's a, it's a tale, it's a very two different uh, tales between the office sector, the residential, and the industrial sector. And the retail sector, um, particularly the, the grocery-anchored necessity goods retail space, uh, is performing really strong, with the higher-end malls actually performing well as well. Our retail portfolio today is performing as well as we've seen it perform. It's predominantly grocery anchored, but in the last decade is performing as well as it's ever performed um, over that time period with vacancies lower and rents higher. And the interesting thing about the retail, retail was still a four-letter word coming out of COVID. And when the cost of capital was decreasing materially, uh, retail values did not go down. Um, and as a result, uh, or, or, sorry, retail yields did not go down uh, and retail prices did not go up. Uh, as a result, as the, as the rest of the real estate sector is repriced, retail has held steady. 
So um, three out of the four major food groups um, are performing well with good fundamentals and office being uh, still having its challenges. John, just to get your thoughts on bright spots or areas of optimism within the broader group, uh, anything there you would like to weigh in on? I think Todd said it very well. We'd agree with. I think the one, the one thing I would add to it is, and this became abundantly clear. This is one of the consistent themes we heard from the mid-year knee reconference a couple of weeks ago, uh, is that if there is a bright spot to, and I like that phrase, capital markets recession, but if there is a bright spot to this, you know, more difficult access to capital, is that merchant builders, i.e., builders who look to build and turn around and flip their properties, have virtually lost their access. The capital, and so we would. We're in total agreement with Todd on both the residential rentals, be that multi or single family, and the industrial slash warehouse space. But both of those are are you know certainly staring down the barrel of more supply uh, this year. But the good news is, particularly for industrial, we think we're past peak supply, uh, and that will come down fairly quickly. Uh, multifamily supply will likely take a little bit longer, but the good news is that uh, we think that 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 will. Bring Burn off, and so you know you always have to look. You can't just look at either the supply side or the demand side of the equation. We think that the demand side, you know, industrial. Todd said it very well. I mean, the demographics are very, very favorable uh, for residential rentals. Again, be it multi or single family, and we will burn through that supply. So uh, that's about that's the one thing I would I would definitely add there. And as far as you know, retail, I don't know anybody that's building any new malls. Uh, and in terms of uh, you know needs-based, uh, necessity-based shopping centers, the development is relatively light. So all in all, we think the supply side of the equation will, will continue to be favorable over the longer term. Thank you, John. Todd, same question to you. Considerations for investors right now when it comes to positioning within the broader group, as well as areas that you find most attractive at this time as we head into the second half of the year. I think that the capital markets um, the current state of the capital markets is reflected in the spot market in terms of real estate values. So um, if you look at the opportunity to buy similar fundamentals, and those fundamentals that I'm talking about are in the industrial sector, in the residential sector, in the retail sector. If you can buy those fundamentals for significantly cheaper, 20 25% cheaper than you could buy them for last year, we think that that is um, we think that's a good trade. Um, and whether that is um, in the public markets or in the private markets, whether you access um, how 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 you access those uh, opportunities, um, I think you can access them in both the public and the private markets. I also believe that as a result of the banking tantrum that we saw uh, in March of this year, um, that the smaller banks, those banks that represent 30% of overall lending or 70% of bank lending, are, are going to be uh, more highly regulated. And uh, they're not going to be able to provide as much capital to the marketplace. I also think that we will see a period of less liquidity availability uh, in the marketplace, which I think presents a tremendous opportunity for private credit to come into this marketplace. And if you can loan today um, at significantly higher rates, at lower attachment points on more conservative underwriting, that strikes me 
as a very interesting opportunity as well in this marketplace. So I think there are unique opportunities, interesting opportunities, both from, the, from an equity perspective in real estate as well as from a debt perspective in real estate. Todd, John, thank you both again for your time and for sharing your insights today with our clients, our advisors here on UBS On Air Market Moves. Appreciate it. Thank you both. Appreciate it. UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliates. The views and opinions expressed in this material by external guest speakers are those of the author, speaker, and are not those of UBS, its subsidiaries, or affiliates. Accordingly, UBS does not accept any liability over the content of this material or any claims, losses, or damages arising from the use or reliance of all or any part thereof. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient, and published for informational purposes only. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash CIO disclaimer.